which is really why I believe I never had to go to rehab because I already had the Savior there. And I think a lot of people go because they're trying to do this on their own strength. I already knew I couldn't do that. I just didn't know that he was available to help me with that. Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Hey, Temple family, this is Bennett Holloway, and welcome to Temple Talk. I'm so glad that you're here. And typically, we have uh, Mr. Tuck Choate with us, but today we are blessed to have in the studio Mr. Tony Benda. Tony, how have you been? And let the people hear your voice, my friend. Hello, everyone. Um, I've actually been here the whole time, uh, hiding in the background, but um, it's a pleasure to be on. Today, and, uh, today we're unmuting you. That's right. <laughs> I'm allowed to speak for the first time. No, yes. I'm kidding. Um, no, it's good to be here. Um, I'm having a great day. It's it's cool seeing the activity of the church. The school is flourishing this week. They've had Spirit Week, so they've been dressing up, and it's been neat to see all the kids. You know. I'm still trying to get them to call it Holy Spirit Week, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> I and, do what I can. Uh, it's been great, though. Um Christmas decorations are starting to go up everywhere, not just in the church either. So it's it's exciting to see that. But um, yeah, God's good. We've got some exciting things in our future, and uh, yeah, He's doing good things both in my, our personal life and you know here at the church. So this week I had the privilege and honor to teach on grace, and as as we were working through thinking through um, this episode, one of the things that we thought uh, there's no better testimony to the grace of God than the mere testimonies of his people. Mm-hmm. And so we've asked uh, Miss Melody Davenport to come and to share her testimony about what God has done and honestly is still doing in her life. Um, so Melody, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Before we jump yes. into your story, share with us a little bit about who you are, your family, and uh, kind of what's going on in your life right now in this season. Okay, so um, I'm really happy to be here. I would, I love to share my story. I love to talk about the things that have went on in my life and my experiences and how the Lord has redeemed me in so many areas. And I am not a native of North Carolina. I am a native of South Carolina. I was born in Charleston on the Navy base and my dad was in the Air Force. Um, I was an only child and I have four wonderful children. Um, and I am married to a native of North Carolina, Randy, and he is here at Temple Church also. So a lot of what we do um, around here revolves around our church life, our community here. We are very involved in the community and love people. I, I really like relationships with people. I spent about 30 years in veterinary medicine and enjoyed every bit of that and then enjoy uh, working with animals, working with people. Horses are my first love, and they probably always will be. So 
I am about to adopt a horse named Cash, and I'll bring him home at the end of the month, and that's a new exciting thing for me. I haven't had my very own horse in about 10 years. You, so. can, you can adopt a horse? You can. Yep. Petco? Where'd you go to? No, I did not. I went actually here in the community. We have a lady in Pamlico County that takes in horses that have been seized and brought to them by animal control. They are usually abused or starved. Cash was starved. He was a performance horse. And then when he stopped performing well, I'm thinking that they just stopped taking care of him in Mm. all areas. So um, he looks good now. He is an older gelding, but uh, I'm very excited to spend time with him and be able to connect and have a relationship with a horse again would be great. That's awesome. So many things I want to ask, but Uh let's jump into your story. (laughs) Okay, let's do that. (laughs) Okay, so share with us a little bit about your testimony and what God's brought you out of and what he's doing in your life right now. Okay, so um, as I said, I'm a native of South Carolina, and I was born to Christian parents. Um, I don't ever remember a time that we did not attend church. We were always at church. My dad was the minister of music off and on during my childhood. He was always either a deacon, and he also taught Sunday school. My mom had actually grown up at that church, but she was not quite as involved. She had some other issues going on. My aunt was the church financial secretary, so I spent a lot of time at church um, during doing church activities. I accepted Christ when I was eight years old, and I followed that up with believer's baptism. Um, I was happy about that. I, I do remember feeling... Um, a connection with God that was a little different than it was before at the time it happened and, and shortly thereafter. But I did not understand how to live um, in a, a life of surrender to Christ. So I was a believer in Jesus, and I was being groomed for what they considered Christian success. And But there were just a few problems. There were some secrets in my family. There were things called necessary lies and dangerous coping skills that gripped my entire family. My mom and grandmother were both struggling with some prescription drug addiction, and my dad and my aunt were very good enablers, and they were constantly trying to fix them. So I was kind of the only child caught somewhere in the middle of some chaos. I learned that lying to our family and friends was necessary to maintain our good Christian appearance and standing in our community. Lying became one of the first coping skills I picked up. It was so much easier to lie to people about why my mother was missing from events than to dare utter what the truth was. My other grandmother knew what was happening in our home, and she helped introduce me to my next coping skill in my life, which was food. She cooked treats for me for after school to make me feel better. They were delicious and soon became another go-to for my emotional healing um, to handle my anxiety and fear. I struggled with anxiety in my childhood, and I just did not know what it was called. I felt nervous all the time. My stomach often hurt, and when asked what was wrong, I truly had no idea. I learned that people-pleasing, especially my parents, brought a sense of self-worth and desired relief, and I learned to control my emotions. I would not allow myself to show anger, laughter, or pain in front of others. I was then considered good in a crisis, calm, and task-oriented. 
So that kind of led to abusing food. Um, that helped me deal with my emotions in private. So I started binge eating at night in my room. One day at school, though, I had a friend that I noticed I had gained a considerable amount of weight and I had stopped showering regularly. I was very depressed and completely unaware of it. And when she asked me why I had gotten so fat and quit washing my hair, this was a wake-up call that I had no idea what to do about. Mm. So what I did is I started to handle it. Um, I started showering twice a day, and I learned how to quit eating. Mm. And so my need to prove her wrong was so intense, it became almost obsessive. And, you know, I, so I started to swap it up and do something different. Um, I would not eat. I would allow myself to eat once a day, and that was all, and I wouldn't eat again until the next day. The weight came off, and I began being noticed by others. I loved that feeling of confidence, self-worth, and mostly control. I then thought, if I can control this, I can control other things, like my grades. I became an, an, over, I became an overachiever in every area of my life, and if I tried something and could not perfect it, I quit doing it. There was no room for failure. I held myself to an extremely high standard. For a while, I was sure I had fixed myself. I had no idea I needed Jesus. I attended church. The outward appearance um, was good. I definitely did not need to talk to Jesus or any other person about the chaos in my home. I did not need anyone's help. I was busy saving others. The problem was I did not know I needed saving myself. I would go to parties with my friends just so I could be the designated driver and get them home. I didn't drink or use drugs during high school. I was too good for that. I was opinionated, angry, striving to be perfect, and very unapproachable. And I was called stuck up. The truth was, if someone got close, they would find out the truth about my life, that I was lying, cheating, manipulating situations and others, doing anything necessary to be admired and liked. And this made me feel whole and loved. So when I first um, knew that there was a real issue going on, um, James 5.16 was the verse that I kind of clung to, and it started talking about, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I did not understand how healing could come from that. Yeah. I only understood that pain could come from that. So putting someone in my life to trust was a very hard thing for me to do. And surrendering to Jesus was something I just didn't think was even necessary. Did you have any relationships during that time that you had that could even be that for you? Or was pretty much everything shallow? Or what was the mm -hmm. dynamic of your friendships um, or even your relationship with family uh, while you're going through this season? Um as you're growing up in high school? Oh, every relationship was very much shallow. That yeah. included my family. Yeah. I gave my family the answers that they wanted to hear to questions. There were times that they noticed something was definitely wrong. They, I don't even know they knew if they knew what to do about it, but they would ask, and I would give the answer they wanted to hear, and then life would just go on the way that it was. Friends, um, I have very superficial friends. 
Uh, they did not know me in any way. They did not understand why I would not drink and take drugs. They just didn't get it. What They were all hanging out, having fun, and I definitely did not know how to have fun, whether it was that kind of fun or a different kind of fun. I, I didn't know what to do with that. I knew how to be responsible. I knew how to stay in control, and that's all I cared about. That's good. So where you left off was uh, James 5, 16. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When did that time for you happen that you were able to start confiding in people? Was that later on in life or was that? That was definitely later on in life. Okay. What I did is I actually used that verse in reverse. I started being that person for other people. I would tell them that they needed Jesus and I would show them that they could come and confide in me with their secrets. And I would pray about those things, but I can't became that person for them rather than putting that person in my life to be there for me. Um, the Probably the first time that I knew that I needed that, I was 36 years old. It was a long time. A lot happened before I made it to that point mm -hmm. when I had ran out of all resources. There yeah. was nowhere to go. You've, you've, you've come to the end of yourself. That's it. Absolutely. I did come to the end of myself. Um, everything that I knew that I had controlled was absolutely falling apart. There was no way to hold it all together. I was losing the marriage. I was, my kids did not know me. I didn't even realize they did not know me until they confronted me with that issue. Um, I was drinking too much. I was a workaholic. I was a functioning alcoholic. And I was very codependent, so I was also fixing my husband's life, and he did not desire to be fixed, but I was constantly working on that, and it was complete misery. I kept trying and trying to pull everything back together, and as long as the outside appearance was good, it was going to be good, but I couldn't make that outside appearance good anymore. Mm -hmm. There's only so much you can do. Yes. How old were you when you got married? So you have your period from high school, and... When did you meet your husband, and when did you get married? And So really, that was the first time that I recognized today that I ran in my life. I, I ran from a situation. Um, I was 19 years old when I got married, and my husband was 20. We both understood each other very well because his family was struggling with alcoholism and also an enabler, and my family was struggling with the same thing. We were both only children. We both had a shared a love for horses. So um, a year after we met, while I was still in college, two very broken people got married. Um, there was a lot of good and bad in that. We tried briefly to go back to church for about two years, and went, attended, heard, took good things home, didn't do anything with those. Eventually, being self-employed, business got in the way. We traveled all the time. We started having children. We raised those children within the context of um, this farm life, this closed-in situation, which was it was good. They learned a lot. We were very close. All of us were close. What we didn't do is we had no relationship with God. We had no church life or community or family. We were very inclusive with just just us five. So as life went on, um, I started to add more and more coping skills into the situation. Yeah. Um, 
my husband turned more and more to alcohol and drugs to fix in him what I could not fix. And disappointed and angry, I turned to diet pills to control weight and eventually alcohol to help me feel normal, to keep up a great outward appearance as a power couple. I had left Jesus and the church far behind. We had three wonderful kids, but somehow, again, I was in a household out of control. So I did not, I did what I always do. I detached. I was emotionally and spiritually detached from everyone going through the motions of life. I threw myself into work and our family business. I excelled at both and found purpose there. I felt needed again and not so much like a failure at marriage and motherhood. Anxiety was back again, though. I cried a lot in the bathroom at night. I did not sleep or eat. And my mom had been sober for several years, and she kept suggesting I go to AA and put Jesus back in my life. She knew I was battling depression and substance abuse. So she would call me out on the very things that she used to do that drove me away. She would beg me to do something different before I lost my family. I continued to hide and tried desperately to regain control of mine and my husband's life. And soon after my self-made world came crashing down, my husband's drug addiction landed us bankrupt. And he was leaving us and moving in to another house with my friend. We were losing our farm, our business, our home, and all our possessions. I had never felt such emotional pain and despair before. My mama would come pray with me at night, help me get the kids in bed, and come back in the morning to help me get them to school. Then she said, you need to do the next right thing. Sober up. Put Jesus back in your life. Go to meetings. And I, I actually did this, um, except my relationship with Jesus was purely on my terms. I never asked him to do his will. <laughs> I gave him complete instructions on how to fix me and my family. I expected him to do that. The problem was this was not reality. I was sober and angry, distraught, feeling all the feelings and not quite sure what to do with them. And then my aunt invited me to a Bible study called Believing God by Beth Moore. This changed me. This started to change my life drastically. I began to pray differently and seek God for what he had for me rather than what I wanted. My pastor came to me soon after to start a program at our church called Celebrate Recovery. And this set me on a journey of healing that saved my life, and I will forever be grateful. I became involved in step study and leadership, going on to, the to be the ministry leader for our church. I never let go of my husband, though. I waited on him. I put him in a box and continued to pray for his healing, even though he did not live at home with us and was involved in very dangerous activity. When his dad died, he asked if he could come home. He wanted to change his life and be a part of us again. I was thrilled. My sponsor warned that just because I was sober did not mean it was wise to reconcile this relationship, but I did not listen or care. I was sure God had heard my prayer. I had finally earned a do-over. I walked away from CR, church, family, and friends and did the thing I love to do, move, run, one more time to people who did not know us to start over. And after seven years of sobriety, I relapsed. Alcohol, anger, and isolation became my very best friends. My family was done with me. They cut me out of their lives. My parents did not contact or speak to me for a year. My husband relapsed also. We were both very much out of control. I was secretly drinking at work while judging him and others for not being functioning addicts. Finally, he chose to run again to another location and job. I was faced with the dilemma of whether to go back home or stay and let God finally heal me. 
go to recovery for me and not to save others, get into a step study and be honest with myself, God and someone I trust. I came to a conclusion after a recovery leader told me you cannot leave until you could stay. This made so much sense to me. I jumped in wholeheartedly for the first time in my life to allow God to rescue me. The process of healing and restoration began. I felt God's presence and purpose in my life for the first time. I stepped into leadership at Temple Celebrate Recovery, accepted a promotion at my job, and life was very good for the first time in a very long time. Isaiah 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. This became my life verse, ever reminded me to let God guide me on how to handle things rather than react and do it my way. About three years later, I met a man in recovery. We attended church together, recovery, and shared a love for competition of any type and the outdoors. A year later, in front of all of our forever family, we were married. So when so what you're going through right here is you're in a relationship with your husband, and then he left you, moved in with someone else, and then when his father passed, he, he had a wake-up call that you thought was, was it, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying, and then um, you ended up... Uh, really not really following the leadership of the people that were loving you and carrying you through that season. And you went back to him and then you both relapsed and then you got, did you ended up, he left again. He abandoned y'all again and left and do another stuff and another job, another life. Uh, and then it led you to a situation of needing to get a divorce, I'm assuming, because then you married someone else. So what the, the, I think there was a piece that we maybe missed here of yep. your story. You probably, yes, I did leave that piece out. Oh, well, um, that's good. I did. So I, uh, you know, when I knew that my husband was going to leave North Carolina, he, um, he, I, we actually went to dinner and he expressed the fact that he was leaving, that he thought that I needed to go back to South Carolina, see if I could get my job back and that this was forevermore over. And so, um, I went home and I, my kids were here with me. They were involved. They had jobs. One of them had a job. My oldest had a job. Uh, my son and daughter was still in school here and they had community and we were going to church. We had just started to attend church again. So we made the decision that we would stay here, that yeah. we would make North Carolina, New Bern, our home. And in that situation, um, my sponsor started to talk to me about the fact that I needed to sever the relationship permanently, that I needed to seek a divorce, that abandonment was not the only issue, that he had a girlfriend, he was moving to another state with that girlfriend, and that there was in no way was I any longer responsible for trying to hold something together that was broken beyond repair. So he was in an adulterous relationship. Yes. He left, leaving the state. I mean, there, so when it came to custody, when it came to your children, when it came to navigating what you do, haven't been abandoned like that, mm -hmm. um, you picked up your pieces and you did what the, you believe the Lord was leading you to do while searching scripture, while seeking wisdom. Um, and then came Randy. It did. It, and it was kind of um, a very strange situation. So it had been about three years, yeah. and I thought, 
Um, I, I could remember I had just said, Lord, I think I can be fine if you never bring another relationship into my life. And within a couple of weeks, um, Randy spoke to me one Monday night after recovery and said that he had been here at Temple for about a year and that he did not speak to me for a year because he didn't think that it would be right. He wanted to wait a year, observe, attend recovery, be around to see if this was something that we could pursue. And, uh, you know, it scared me so much. My first answer was no, we can't. Um, but eventually we did begin to date. And a year later, we were married after that. And when was that? That was March of 2015. Okay. So that was about uh, two years before I met you. Yes, it and was. I got the privilege of officing near Randy, who was yes. officing in our, in our offices. And yes. that man had the loudest voice. He he yelled and laughed. And, and usually that's when he was trying to whisper. Uh-huh. Um, and then I first When I first got here, <laughs> oh, I loved that. It was hilarious. He's a good man. He is a good man. Yeah. He is. So that was... Um, Marriage brought challenges that I was not expecting again. You know, I was solid in the fact that I had a sponsor. I was attending church. I had learned what surrender was, daily surrender to Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me so that I could be the person that he created me to be. When the family was blended and we had two teenagers in the home, Randy's son, Ryan being there, and Rebecca, my daughter, um, fights ensued. It became very difficult. Hmm. And I did not have a good support system to navigate this. And so I think that I relapsed into codependency very easily. I was trying to fix everyone inside the home, and Hmm. it wasn't working out. Um, So when that carried on and it led to Randy's relapse, that was a real wake-up call. I'm back to a place I've been before. I don't want to be here. I don't want this to happen. I have to fix it. So I started to lie about that. You Mm. know, I thought if you didn't acknowledge it, I really ran back to old coping skills very quickly. Um, I showed up, made the appearance look good. I think I really kind of shocked myself at how easily I could go back and do it again. So that led to another year's journey of chaos, absolute chaos. And at the end of that chaos, um, during that whole time, you know, Randy always held true to the fact that he knew that he could not fix his life or the situation. And he would go to the altar and he'd take me with him and he would beg the Lord to heal him. Hmm. And it just would shake me to my core. I I was afraid of what that meant. I didn't, I believed that Jesus would fix it. I just was afraid of the avenue that was going to take place for that to happen. So when Randy had a stroke, um, as a consequence of coming off of opiates, I was devastated. I I was mad. I was angry at God. I, I told the Lord, this is not the plan. Why would you let this happen after all these things that have happened? I just did not understand the miracle that was about to happen. So that led me to come back to the end of myself one more time. And at this time, when I came to the end of myself, it was on a bathroom floor in Vidant Hospital. And um, it was a public bathroom, so 
<laughs> Thankfully, nobody walked in, but if they had, they would have been very disturbed, I'm sure, because I just could not get up off that bathroom floor. And I just started to cry out to God and tell him how sorry I was for taking control where it wasn't my place and to come back to a place of surrender and say, whatever you have, Lord, I'm okay. I, I can, We can do this. And that started to change my life in a deeper way than it had been before. I really started to understand um, my need, my deep need for Jesus every day. I was not going to do those days without him. There was no way that that would work out. So um, that led to a completely different level of dependence. And it was a beautiful thing hmm. walking through that recovery. And those six weeks was a an experience I would not take anything for. It was the most painful and the most beautiful experience at the same time because Jesus was so near. He never left. He sent people just at the right time to walk through a door and say something or show up with something when all our um, hope was gone and it would it would rekindle that again. Wow. Praise God. Hmm. So what would you encourage someone um, so the the pattern that uh, we hear you talk is a cyclical, like uh, yielding, surrendering, end of myself moment, and as time goes, like them Israelites, we fall back into old patterns, and then there's a breaking and yielding, a surrender, and the end of ourselves, and we draw back near to Him, and time goes on and cyclical pattern, right? So what would you say to someone that finds themselves at the, at the bottom of that valley right now to encourage them? And then uh, what would you say to those that find themselves in that cyclical pattern of behavior, um, a way to be delivered from that? Well, I think that the verse, you know, life verses change for me over time. And Exodus fourteen fourteen is very close to my heart for the fact that it's... Um, it says the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And it was talking about the Israelites, and they had just come through um, the sea, and they had walked through on dry land. Mm. But yet there were they were or they were about to. They had not. They were about to, and they couldn't. They couldn't understand that that water was going to part. Um, they could not understand. They thought the Lord had fought for them and got them to this point, and then he was just going to leave them there. Yeah. And I can understand that very well. So um, I would go back to that verse to be reminded every time it came to the fact that I wanted to run this time, every time I would be to the point that I wanted to fix it on my own, I would have to come back to that verse and say, Lord, you promised me that you fight for me, that you make a way for me where there is no way, and that you put people in my life that I can depend on to help me see things clearly. I would say that you you need to find a person that you trust, that you know is following Jesus, that you know can stand beside you and help you see clarity, help you pray for clarity, help walk um, a journey with you where you can be completely honest. It's going to be r very scary to do that. Yeah, it's like that, that first passage you walked us through, James, right? Confessing sin to one another so you may be healed. And so that, 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 that thing that none of us want to do, yet the impact is kind of what you're describing as that, that, was, that was your off-ramp, mm -hmm. right? That was the right. off-ramp as letting someone in, uh, right. a brother, a sister in Christ, 
and uh, confessing and being healed, uh, both spiritually but relationally, um, with other people, letting you know that one, you're not alone, yeah, and two, that he has another way. So, what would you say to encourage people that may be dealing with a level of shame and um, and guilt about time that they've wasted? Um, shame or guilt about the cyclical pattern um, and continuing to have to be driven back uh, or maybe relationships they've lost or messed up that have ended? Um, How would you encourage people uh, that may find themselves at that spot right now? Well, obviously there were things. The first time that I knew that we were not supposed to live in shame, someone told me that I was living carrying things that Jesus never meant for me to carry beyond the cross, that he died for those things, that he had already taken that shame for me. Um, I love uh, Joel. Um, I'm sorry, Joel 2, 25. And it's been played out in my life very well, as promised by God. And it says, I will, re- I will pay back in full for the years that the swarming locust has consumed, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, my great military force, which I send among you. Hmm. Um, I didn't understand that when I first heard it, and I thought that just really doesn't make sense. But what I have lived to see is every shameful thing in my life the Lord has come in to heal it and say, I took care of it for you already. I will provide a way for you to walk forward and redeem it. He has redeemed everything that I messed up, everything that I did a different way. He's come in. He's lifted me above my circumstances. He has set my feet on solid ground, and he will do that. And a lot of times people think when you're going to be repaid for the years that the locust ate, that that means that you're going to receive something financially. What you really, and you may, that may happen. What I found is I received his mighty grace, I received his love, and I received a way to live a life reasonably happy that I had no idea how to live prior to that. And he blessed my children, and he lets me live in his favor. Yeah, that generational and then that deliverance, right? right? The deliverance aspect of he's delivered you out of it and the hope that you have it. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect. doesn't mean, you you know, you don't go no, through trials. doesn't sure. mean you, you aren't experiencing storms. Yes. Um, but you go through it in a different way because you of what he's done. You absolutely do. Yes. Mm. Well, um, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing with us. Um, to end, to conclude this episode, would love to ask Tony, um, to give us um, a final thought, a final summary, a final word of encouragement to people out there that are listening to this, uh, and then I'll conclude it with a point to some resources that we have. Um, well, one final encouraging thing is that um, every testimony matters. Everyone has a testimony. Um, and and I do just want to encourage those who are out there listening that if you are struggling with something, we do have an awesome recovery program here. Um I've helped on the technical side, so I've been I've been blessed uh, by sitting in many of those um, large group settings. And then when we blended to Wednesday nights, and now it's on Friday nights uh, for those who are looking. Um, it's an awesome program, and uh, I think it's Friday night. It's six o'clock. Is that right, Mel? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So for those who are looking for a program, please come on out. Um, it's an awesome group of people. They are there to walk alongside you and whatever you guys are going through. Um, 
but I do know that Mel and I have been talking recently about, um, this is just a little teaser for, for those out there. Uh, Melody's in the process of beginning a book. Is that right, Mel? It is right, and it is the beginning of it's a the process. beginning process of of writing a book about both your testimony and also um, uh, in recent years, and it's it's kind of exciting. You've talked a little bit about it with me, but um, hmm. we're going to have you back in another episode to see where that progress comes. Okay, mm. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> that I will I will have to keep your support. In that's that. right. I got you, Mel. Did you say accountability? What just accountability? <laughs> that's what I said. All right, so the, the, one of the last things that I just want to encourage people with is to, to one, recognize that no matter what you're going through, um, there is a 99.99% chance you are not going through that alone. You're not the only one. That's right. Uh, the devil wants to make it seem like you're on an island. The devil wants to make it seem like uh, you're the mess and you're the problem. But the reality is uh, you are the only one going through something. And then on the other side of that same coin is if each and every single one of us were completely honest and transparent with ourselves, we all are struggling with hurts, hangups, and habits, mm-hmm. things that we need to stop doing, things that we're addicted to, things that we need to start doing, uh, and uh, and ways that we need to get more balanced and healthy, uh, developing our personal spiritual disciplines, pursuing these virtues, um, but also experiencing um, some healing and recovery processes due to sin in our lives. And so um, one of my big things that I just strongly encourage is the normalization of step studies specifically through the vein of typical recovery and the programs that we offer here. Um, This is something that if every single member and non-member of our church went through a season of uh, jumping into this ministry, then you'd be greatly blessed. One, because there's probably some things in your life, in our lives, that I, we all need to do to experience being blessed by this ministry. But then the other side of it is every single one of us knows somebody. We know somebody that's either been impacted directly by addiction or that knows someone or um, that is going through addiction themselves. And so there's just something to uh, recognizing and normalizing this because if we're completely honest, it's a real part of our lives. And it's an epidemic that, one, uh, is only growing in the United States of America. uh, But on the other side, um, it's also uh, something that a lot of people would rather avoid talking about. And so even speaking about it takes boldness. And I just wanted to uh, tell you, Mel, thank you so much for the ministry that you do day in and day out. Yes. The way that you uh, care for people, the way that you support, love, and are a display of the grace of God. And what's great about that is I know that you really have nothing to do with it. It's the grace of God coming through you. As you yield to him, as you're used by him, as you care and encourage those around you for his glory. So, Mel, thank you so much. Temple Recovery, 6 o'clock on Fridays here at Temple Church. To get more information, you can go to temple.church to to check that out. And you can also go to temple.church to find out other things and other ministries um, that we have going on here at Temple. So, other than that... Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope that you guys have an incredible rest of the week. We will see you on Sundays and Wednesdays and also on next week's episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk@temple.church. at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church 
for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek Him in Scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk.